uh, hey, listen, we are, uh, I want to say this real quick, that I, as we're kind of in this place, we've been, you know, since June, almost a year back at Vintage under these COVID protocols. Everybody's like, stop talking COVID protocols, right? It's like we were in this place. And I want to start off by saying, hey, thank you all for um, this past season. I know that no one in the history of the world likes wearing a mask, right? Definitely in worship, it's super annoying, right? No one likes to be super, well, some people don't like being distanced from other people. The introvert's like the best season of my life, right? No, it's just this whole dynamic. We're like, yeah, and so, no, this whole dynamic going down. And I know at Vintage it's been a little strange, and people have had tension. And I just want to say to all of you, thank you for this season that you guys have really been coming alongside and saying, hey, we're, it's, we're struggling, we don't really enjoy it, but we're just glad to be together, and we're grateful for the opportunity to be online and to really worship in that place of safety. And I just want to say thank you uh, for coming alongside and really engaging where we've been this season. And with that, I also want to say with thank you, we also recognize that some of these protocols are being scaled back. I know we were not unaware of what the governor uh, pulled out a couple of weeks ago which really didn't make a ton of sense, which I think is just the whole point. He never talks about churches, so we're kind of, that's why every church is different. If you haven't paid attention, like every church is different, has their own protocols and their own peace because the governor's afraid to talk to churches. It's been that way since the very, very beginning, right? So every church kind of has their own their own conviction, their own way of doing things, their own protocol. Not vintage has had one, but we're also just recognizing that in the context of our culture and the idea of perception and people understanding this and people getting vaccines, that it's time for us to begin having a conversation about scaling back our own protocols at Vintage. And the beautiful thing is this. We have a leadership team that makes those decisions for us. And so we, this past Wednesday, and this is really important. I want you to hear how we're handling this. So it's past Wednesday or Tuesday, actually. I said, all right, staff, here's the deal. For an hour and a half from 9 to 1030 on Wednesday morning, I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God what he thinks about for protocols for COVID at Vintage, right? We don't need people's opinions because everyone has myriads of opinions, right? There's all sorts of factual basis on every single side. So we're just recognizing we need to follow the leading of the Lord in this. So would you take some time and pray? And then we'll meet here at 1030 on Wednesday after we're done praying. And we're going to process what do you feel like God's speaking in the season. And then whatever that is. And we prayed and we talked and read the staff and we took some notes. I'm handing those notes over to our leadership team to process and to pray through themselves. And hopefully by sometime midweek this week, they will come back with the steps that we're going to take to get back to a greater place of normalcy. I'll just let you know in advance, we're not going to go from here to here overnight, right? But we will be taking steps, and the conversations that we are having are around masks and when we're wearing them or if we're wearing them, how we're going to be doing children's ministry in the context and youth in the context of all of that. You saw last week we scaled back from having to do sign-ins on Sunday mornings, right? And so we recognize this is the season to begin having that conversation. We're having it, and as soon as we make some decisions, and as soon as the leadership team lands on their decision, we will communicate and let you know, right? 
And let me just say this along the way, right? We, we don't need your opinions going into that time, okay? So you can just keep them to yourself. We know all of them, or at least generalities of what people are thinking along the way. Trust me, we get all sorts of emails and texts and Facebook messages, right, of the newest, the latest, and the greatest, right? And so thank you for sending those. We don't need any more. We're just going to go and pray, listen to the Lord, right? You can hold on to them. Just share them with all your friends, right? No, but we're going to take that and then take those steps. And once we make that decision, hear this. Here's what I'm asking. Once we land on a decision, if you're, if it, listen, we, may, we know that we're probably not going to land at a place again where everybody is going to be on board. And that's just the nature of leading a group of people. Everybody has their own convictions, their own thoughts, their own opinions. And to be honest with you, in this day and age, everyone thinks they're right. And so what we're saying is none of us usually get it all right. So as you make this decision, here's what we're asking. Just give us grace and say we're doing the leadership is following what they believe the Lord is saying in this moment. And so in that as being part of the body, we will submit to that and we will celebrate and we will continue to do life together and worship together as the people of God. Can we all say amen to that? All right. Fantastic. I appreciate you letting me joke around, but be honest at the same time. All right. So two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we celebrated what we know in the church and what we believe for the world is the greatest event in human history, right? It was the resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrection also is that causing and allowing people to become alive. That's the idea of our theme this week and next, alive, fully alive in a stress-filled world, right? We believe that the resurrection was the most defining moment in all of history. No, a couple of weeks ago I talked about the, the book that N.T. Wright wrote called The Resurrection of the Son of God. That was such a powerful treatise around the, the it's 890 pages long. It was such a powerful treatise around the history and the evidence around the resurrection of Jesus that most theologians say today the burden of proof no longer resides with Christians to prove the resurrection. The proof, the proof of burden now resides with the unbeliever to prove that it didn't exist. It's such a powerful piece, right? And so in that, we believe the resurrection is true. And so with that comes the beautiful and powerful implications the implications we've talked about, right, is about going from spiritual death to spiritual life, the power of the resurrection, right? Walls coming down between you and me and God so that we now can have intimacy and we can have eternal life with Jesus, right? The veil was torn. Walls have come down to be with him for eternity. It's about the power of God being revealed on the earth, right? That literally Matthew says, crazy, I have no idea what it means, that there was such a powerful moment that the graves opened up and bodies of saints walked around. What does that even mean? I have no idea. No one does. That's what it says. Go read it for yourself. All it means, but what I do know is this. They were trying to paint the picture that the resurrection did something that nothing had ever done in the history of man. It's a powerful, powerful moment. The resurrection, we would say it is the moment. It is the moment of victory in the context of God, the church, his people, and I would say the world. So with that, if the resurrection 
married to the Spirit's empowering at Pentecost and its implication over the power of the enemy, it has fueled our thinking and our theology around Jesus' words of the abundant life. I'm going to say that more simply. Because of the wonderful power of the resurrection and everything that I described that is meaning and everything that it means even beyond that, the idea and the power of the resurrection coupled with the empowering of our, the human beings with the Spirit of God at Pentecost, right? Marrying these things together and then what it means for victory in our world, it fuels thinking and theology around this understanding of the abundant life, which is directly taken, you quoted all the time, right? John chapter 10, where Jesus says this on the screen, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they, that we may have life and have it to the full. This is one of those verses that we love, right? It's one of those ones we love to quote, right? Jesus has come that we might have abundant life and have it to the full, right? Where it's possible for us to live alive, right? To be alive and to live alive. We go on in Romans 5, 17. This may be a verse you haven't tapped into before, but it speaks of the same thing. It says this, For if by the trespass of the one man, talking about Adam, the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So, right, Paul's coming and speaking in in the moment, just saying, listen, because of the sin of Adam, death entered into the world, but through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we now are able to have life, and we are to reign in life to the one man, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, powerful experience and expression in the life now of the church. And for many, they have latched on to these verses, and for honest, many that are like it, and they've built a theology around them that leads them to believe something about this earthly life that I believe Jesus never intended. I'll say it again. This is the launching pad, right? This is like this thesis. This is like the thesis moment. They have latched on to these verses, and many like it. And they've built a theology around them that leads them to believe something about this earthly life that I believe Jesus never intended. What do I believe that he had never intended? It's this, that we can live a life here without suffering, without tension, without hardship, and without struggle. People build a theology. Think about the prosperity gospel, right? The more you love Jesus and the more you give, and the more, the more your life will be blessed and you'll never suffer. If you're suffering, then that means you're not loving Jesus. That's the prosperity gospel. And just a real quick nutshell. The idea goes like this. If Jesus is resurrected, if he is defeated death and hell, if he is all-powerful, if he has called us to reign with him, then we can live victorious in all things spiritual and physical. Which then leads us to a very simple question that many people have then why is it so hard? Why is life so hard? Why is there so much suffering? 
Why is there so much hardship? Why is, this, why is it so difficult? Why am I struggling? Why am I struggling mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically? And in these moments of very real tension and struggle, well-meaning, Jesus-loving people, they become disillusioned and some fall away from active faith for a time or altogether, at least in their minds, because they have believed something that I argue is incomplete. The place that I want to begin with this morning is this. We want to begin with honesty. You can put that on the screen for me. We want to begin with honesty. So many of us have been, and we are still struggling in life, right? This season has squeezed us in ways that no other season in history ever has. And many people are reeling. They're trying to make it. And they're wondering why the, their theology of the abundant life seems so distant and just plain wrong. If that's not you, I'm thankful. But to recognize, I'm going to just guess that half of the church feels this way. People are trying to make sense of racism and the tension around it in our culture of hate crimes, of political turmoil, of national division, of pandemic rhetoric that has caused many to become overwhelmed and barely hanging on in life. How many people do you know who have lost relationships and lost friendships and literally cut themselves off from family and friends and whole bodies of Christ because of a different belief about something? And anytime you separate, it causes division and it causes pain. And so in all of these, there's these moments of tension. The Gallup, you've all heard of Gallup, and they do polls. They released a poll beginning of April, which just happens to be Stress Awareness Month. They found that 2020, 2020 may not, may not, which is not surprising, right, was officially the most stressful year in their poll's existence with 40% of adults worldwide saying that they'd experienced an unprecedented level of stress in their lives. Hear what I would say about that. That's worldwide. I would say that that number in America is far greater. Someone say amen. Because they're not facing all the things that we're facing. They're just watching the news of what's happening in America. And trust me, they're talking about it. But I look at this and go, I think it's got to be much higher than that in America. Because all of us are at this place. And here's what I would say, and I've heard, I've heard other researchers say the same thing. And this is going to be my opinion, so you don't have to believe this one, and that's okay. But in my opinion, I believe that stress level is even higher in the church than it is outside of the church. Because church people believe that they've been called to live holy and set apart lives and they believe they've been called to care more about division and unity and brokenness and they feel the weight of that brokenness of relationship more than the average person because they know they're supposed to so i'm going to make the assumption that the stress level inside the church is somewhere upwards of 60 to 80 percent of people who are sitting in a room at any given time in any church on a sunday morning that's just my personal opinion, you don't have to agree with that. 
But I'm coming at it thinking, man, when I have conversations with people who've never talked to me about stress and worry and anxiety and fear, and I'm hearing them overwhelmed by it, I'm like, this says something to me. The place to begin with ourselves, with Jesus, and with the ones we love. Listen, this is it. You've already said it. Is we have to be honest. We have to be honest. Listen, I've gotten Facebook messages and phone calls and texts from friends who are like, Steve, this just came out and I'm overwhelmed. Can we please talk? And I'm like, this is abnormal for this person. I would love to talk because there's this place I've got to be honest in moments of tension, honest in moments of struggle, right? We can't pretend like everything in the church and even everything in our own lives and the ones, the loved ones around us, we can't pretend like everything is going well. We have to assess what we are thinking and feeling and honestly share those thoughts and things with someone that we love and trust. If, by God's grace, you're not part of that 40 to 20% who are struggling and you're actually living your best life right now and you have zero stress and zero anxiety and zero worry, here's what I would say for you in this season right now, then you need to become a better friend or at least continue being an incredible friend to those who are struggling. Because people need to have people to be safe with that they can be honest with. It's great to pay for a counselor to be that person, but it doesn't have to always be. Right? It starts with talking to friends, and then friends may lead them on to someone to help them in a, in a better way than they can. Right? But it has to begin with giving space for us to be honest with loved ones and with people around us. And so give people the space to do that. As we're in this week and next, would you please listen? All of us, because maybe this is for you, and maybe it's for someone you're going to meet later this afternoon or tomorrow or talk with at school or in your workplace, or with one of your neighbors. You want to know how your neighbors are doing? Go stalk them on Facebook. They'll tell you. Most of them aren't doing well. Or if they are, and they're, and listen, they're portraying something, it's probably not true. You know what I'm getting at. So here we go, right? I love in this moment this call to be honest, and I love the honesty of the Psalms. Have you ever gone through the Psalms and, like, and allowed your emotions to connect to them and then feel super uncomfortable? Because you're like, oh my gosh, like, David just wrote that for the entire assembly of Israel to sing about? They're literally singing about his sin with Bathsheba? That's a little uncomfortable. I'm going to hide that from people, but he's having people sing about it. This is crazy, right? It's like the Psalms are the most honest written expression I've ever read in my entire life. And one of my favorite, I go to all the time, because, man, I can identify with this guy, is the Psalm of Asaph in chapter 73 of Psalms. Asaph was, basically, he was the musician who put music to the words of David uh, in, in the sanctuary, right, in the temple. And so, and in this Psalm, in this Psalm, he is being incredibly honest, I encourage you to read it, incredibly honest about his personal struggles, because Every, listen, because he's living the good Christian life, the good God-fearing life. He is living separated for the purposes of God. He's living holy. He's doing the right thing. He spends his, he, listen, he spends all of his time in the temple, all of his time in worship, all of his time being obedient to Jesus, and his life is just not going well. He's overwhelmed. He's anxious, and he's super frustrated, 
and he's looking out at all the sinners, all the non-God-fearing people, and their lives are great. They're living in excessive abundance of joy and of happiness and liberty and freedom and all sorts of money is just flowing their way. And he's sitting over here just writing songs for the king, right, worshiping God, and his life is horrible. And he's super frustrated. And we see his words in chapter 73, verses 21 and 22, where he said this. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant, and I was a brute beast before you. I'll just say, this is a psalm that he wrote so everyone could sing about his frustration in life. How funny is that, right? And so here he is. I mean, think about it. His heart, his grief, he wanted to die. He's so stressed out. He's so anxious and overwhelmed. His spirit is embittered. Like, what a great, what great imagery to say, like, I'm angry beyond anger, right? It says he was senseless, ignorant, and a brute beast. He had lost all sense of the right direction to go in life. He was ignorant. He had forgotten everything that he had known to be sure. Listen, the boy spent all day long in the temple, in the Word, worshiping God. And he says, I was so angry, overwhelmed, and frustrated, I lost all sense of every conviction that I had known and read about and from the Old Testament, right? Listen, he was ignorant, forgot everything he knew. He was a brute beast. I, the picture I have here is he's just throwing a spiritual temper tantrum like your kids did when they were 5 or 20. I have no idea, right? Asaph was barely hanging on when he was disillusioned and so struggled. Listen to this. He had lived with a conviction that in being obedient, God would give him abundance. But it is those living in sin who are seemingly living in that abundance. It wasn't fair. Have you ever prayed that prayer to the Lord? It just isn't fair, God. And in that moment, Asaph was honest before God. And I love it as the writer of the Psalms, he is honest before all who are in the assembly. It was a private and a public confession. Listen, honesty. Like, I'm just talking about two things this morning. I'm talking about honesty and then honesty of the resurrection. It's only two things I'm talking about this morning. Next week is going to be like this, like, fire lighting this stuff, but I just think it's so important that we're honest. You see, that an, an emotionally healthy spirituality, the study that we've done at Vintage, one of his primary things, I want you to hear this, it says sometimes we use God to keep, that we use, what was it, we use God 
um, to defend us from God. We use God um, to keep God from being honest. And this whole point is saying, life is going terrible. So I'm going to go, but God, you're just so good. You're just so good. God, you're just so loving. You love me. You're all for me. God, you want me to, you've given me, you've given me eternity. You've given me eternal life. God, you just love me. Like we, we use God to save us from God. Like we use God. We use God's language to keep us from being honest. We feel bad about being honest about our struggles. Because we're like, oh, no, this God, God's so good. He's just so good. He's so good. And the whole time God's like, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I know you're dying. I know internally you're a little bit frustrated, or maybe a lot. Maybe you're a brute beast before me. I know it. Would you just be honest? Stop using me to hide from me. That's it. Stop using God to hide from God. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever done that? Like I've had moments where I'm sitting there and like, hey, this is just really good. God is so good. He's just blessed me in so many ways. I mean, I'm like, I'm just so in. I mean, it's just so good. Life is great. And over here I'm dying, right? That doesn't mean I go and share everything with everyone, but at least before the Lord and before friends, I'm honest, right? In this moment, you know, you've all experienced this, being honest before God about our heart fears, our hurts, and our disillusionment. Listen, honesty is the starting point for breakthrough and healing, but there's much more after that, right? Honesty is like relieving the pressure so that healing can occur. If you've been married, you understand what I'm talking about. It happens with Randall all the time. I'm sitting there doing my life, and I say, babe, how's it going? She's like, fine. I'm like, oh, something's not going well. And I start replaying my day, maybe my week. I'm like, what did I say? What did I do? I'm like, was it that moment over here? Did she read? And I'm like, I walk up again, I'm like, Today, do you know okay? She's like, I'm fine. And she turns around and walks off. I'm like, something's not going well, right? And we all know in that moment what needs to happen. A moment of honesty, right? We go to the rest of the day. I get myself right. I'm like, babe, it sounds like you're frustrated with me. And then if I've done something, I would love to know what that is. Can you help me out? She's like, you don't know. And I'm like, I, I don't. I don't, babe. And then, and then she has this moment of honesty, right? It's this moment of honesty. It's like the bubble burst. And then what happens? Then we have the conversation to get to the end of it. But it has to begin with being honest. And so when we talk about living the, the abundant life, fully alive in a stress-filled world, I want you to hear me say it's imperative in the context of your life with Jesus and the life that you're living like Asaph, you begin by releasing the pressure by being honest about what's going on. You talk to any counselor, and the counselor will sit down and say, what is going on? And their hope and belief is if we're going to get anywhere in this time, you have to be completely and fully as honest as you can be, knowing that you'll be more honest a month from now because you getting to honesty and transparency is necessary for us to get anywhere. It's like that in every relationship. It's like that in your relationship with Jesus. So it's okay I'm releasing you to be a brute beast and senseless and ignorant before the Lord about the season that you're going through and even frustrated because your theology of the abundant life isn't playing out the way that you thought that it should. The second thing, let me find myself again, second piece must, the second piece must process with Jesus and one another is honesty about the resurrection. 
And this is more of a theological place. Like it's important that you start somewhere, right? You start somewhere, and where we start is in this understanding of our, of our theology, what we think about God. That's all theology is. Don't get lost in the words. It's the study of God. It's all that that means, right? And so here's the deal. In life, you live with the theology for everything that you do, whether you know it or not. How you relate to your kids, how you do your finances, how you run your business, how you spend the time during your day is birthed of your for, as a Christian is birthed out of your theology of how you believe God thinks about your life, right? And so our theology needs to start with an honesty about the resurrection. We can never, listen, we can never hold Jesus accountable for things he never said or promised. We can never hold Jesus accountable for the things that he never said or never promised. When you get to heaven, you can't say, well, Pastor Steve said... That's just not going to fly. You have to have a theology and understanding of things, right, that are accurate to what he has said. Listen, Jesus never said that his resurrection, nor this abundant life, or his empowerment of the believer would ever keep us from suffering or facing trials in life. In fact, the promise of Scripture seems to be that we will suffer and have trials as believers in the context of our life. James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Have you ever read through Acts, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians? First and Second Timothy, First and Second Second Thessalonians. Have you read through Titus and First and Second Corinthians? Have you read through Revelation? Have you read that in all of these books, he comes in and almost every single one of them, they're, they're written in the context of the church post-resurrection suffering and dying. Do you remember in Hebrews it says, "Blessed are those who literally." Listen, I'm not even worthy to talk about those who've had their bodies sawn in two. That's hardcore suffering. There is nowhere in Scripture that we are promised that our life, apart from the perfect coming with the second coming of Jesus, will be without suffering and hardship. And the sooner we can get to the place of having a theology of suffering, the, the quicker we will get to a place of understanding the resurrection and understanding health in the context of our life. Remember, when it ends here in James, I think it's verse 13. You can pull it up for me. I can't remember what it is. Thank you. Verse 12, excuse me. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Like these trials, he's such a blessing behind it. Tim Keller came out recently with a book called Hope in the Times of Fear. The Resurrection and Meaning of Easter. If you don't want to go read a 900-page book, you can read his 130-page book. That's what this is. And he kind of sums up in a pastoral form to understand the resurrection. I'm going to buy it, right? I have not read it yet, but I listened to a podcast that he did on it, right? And I was wrecked by the podcast he did. But in this book, again, everybody write it down. Hope in Tim Keller, Hope in Times of Fear. The Resurrection and Meaning of Easter. Right? In it, he unpacks, he unpacks the language I'm using, an honesty of the resurrection. And what he unpacks, and here's a, about to go to a hair bit theological, like seminary in the world, okay? So it's okay. Just you put your thinking cap on. You're going to be okay. You can do this, right? He talked about the resurrection. He said, 
the resurrection brought the kingdom of God, but not yet fully. It's the here but not yet understanding of the kingdom of God. The reality is this. If the kingdom of God had come in its fullness, then death would no longer be present. The decay of the body would no longer be present. Because when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, then perfection has come to the earth. And I don't know if you know yet, but some of you are hurting today. And some of you, as in all of you, are going to die, which means the perfect is not yet come. The kingdom has come, but not yet fully. And it's in the context, then, of that physical, right, that physical, which is where we struggle and we wrestle that the kingdom of God has not yet come fully. Now, what I would say is spiritually, in the context of your spiritual life with God, that is where the kingdom is reigning and ruling. That's why in the midst of all of this, you're able to experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in the context of the spiritual where the kingdom of God has come. He's come in fullness, but he's not yet come fully in the physical. And that then gives us an understanding and a picture of the hardships that we face in life. The kingdom has come in the resurrection, but it hasn't yet come in its fullness. And it's in that place then that suffering and trials and hardships are still present. And God is able to redeem those than to use them for your growth like James is talking about in chapter 1. We still live. Listen, we have been redeemed spiritually but not yet physically. That's why we still live in a fallen world. And so in this, God breaks in. Here's the thing. I'll say this. We have yet to be pulled out of the brokenness. Therefore, we experience brokenness and suffering. And we will until the, until the perfect comes. Now, here's the caveat. For those of us who believe in the works of God's Spirit, right, what we call the char- our charismatic Christians, charismatic Christians struggle most with this theology of suffering because they live in this mindset, no, God's kingdom's come. Did you see what Jesus did in healing and bringing, you know, bringing salvation and, and, and bringing um, deliverance? Like, have you seen all of these things? And I'm like, yes, but all those people died. And the reality is some people got sick again, Right? And the idea is this, then, in the context of our spiritual life, as good Bible-believing Christians, we have a theology of resurrection, of God moving, of a theology of suffering, and all that we say, God, we don't understand how healing works, but we're going to pray for it and believe for it, God. We're going to believe for your miracles, recognize we don't understand everything, we don't understand its fullness, but God, we trust you, and in your timing, and in your power, and in your wisdom, God, you will break in you will break into, you will bring the eternal into the physical, God, at some point in time. But here's the also the reality we wrestle with. How many of you as God-faith-filled, believing Christians have prayed for someone or something and not seen an answer of yes to your prayer? And every single person in this room doesn't have a list of one thing or five things, but it's a very long list. And I look at that and go, what that speaks to then is the nature of the kingdom has come, but not yet fully. And I want to live in the tension of both of these where I believe God for the unbelievable and the spiritual, the kingdom coming to earth while recognizing has not yet come fully. So there's not the perfect here yet. And that begins the honesty of the resurrection doesn't lead me to this place of like defeatism like oh no I'm saying okay god 
if I live with a healthy theology of the kingdom has come, but not yet fully, then in that place, God, I'm going to believe you for the greater things because that's what you've taught us to believe and pray for. But if it doesn't come, I know it's because we still live in a fallen world. But what is perfect is the eternal. And what God's desire is in this tension is to wake us up from being so defined by the physical that we miss what's happening in the spiritual. And what God's desire is in right theology and understanding is, is he wants to say, I want the spiritual then to overshadow the physical. What you were convicted by here and what you know to overshadow this here, that when these moments come where the abundant life seemingly isn't being experienced in the physical, you look and go, because I'm not defined by the physical, I'm defined by the spiritual, and there it's perfect. Your kingdom has come. I live with eternity in mind. So when looking at our lives right now, the situation we find ourselves in as a people, I want to state this in an overly simplistic way. Our fear, our stress, and our anxiety, again, many times is birthed out of our tension of living in a fallen world where we expect perfection because of a wrongly understated, or excuse me, a wrongly stated understanding of the gospel. That wrongly understood is that God is a loving Father who died to save us so we never have to suffer again on earth. And that's just not true. The gospel does not mean a lack of suffering or ease in life. Instead, it means that God is with us, empowering us, and giving us life when we are going through pain and suffering. And the promise that we are never alone, that we are, listen, we are never alone, that we are capable in this moment. And if Jesus is really raised from the dead, then we have confidence that everything is going to be all right. Because Jesus promised, and I'm stealing this from Tim Keller, Jesus promised a resurrected world. It may not be perfect here, but it will be in eternity. We have to become people who are more awakened to the things of the spirit than we are to the things of the physical. And I would say this, that really isn't, that is the path of maturity. In a nutshell, the path of spiritual maturity is going from a people of being defined by the physical to then being defined by the spiritual. We recognize this is true, but his kingdom has come fully here, and that's where we live. Here's just a snapshot, and then I'm going to be done. I'm going to go super fast through this. 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 6, I see it as a snapshot of this reality in the early church. And I believe, listen, this is right here. I believe it creates a perspective for us that is fully honest. It gives us a foundation to stand on about the resurrection and its impact on our lives. Basically, what I'm saying is, I believe these verses clearly articulate an experience of what Peter's saying, everything that I just said. He says, he starts out here. Here we go. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's about to say, he's saying, is praiseworthy. Here we go. In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith, are shielded by God's power 
till the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Do you see the holistic picture here? Verse 3, the resurrection. Yes, it gives us spiritual birth and ongoing hope. Verse 4, the resurrection, man, it creates an eternal home for us with an inheritance that we said we get to live with him for eternity. Verse 5, even our faith, it shields us. I would encourage you to spend time studying that verse this week. It shields us from being open game to the enemy. The enemy can't steal our eternal life, right? Because God sets boundaries on what he's able to do. But verse 6, we will still suffer trials of all kinds in the physical. Right? It's this beautiful picture, this beautiful reality, this, this tension that we live in of the kingdom having come, but not yet fully. And I think the point is this. We want to get to a place Again, I can't state it too much. The spiritual overshadows the physical and our spiritual and mind's eyes. When we get to this place like Asaph, if you don't know the story, he says this, all of this, all of this was oppressive to me until I entered into the sanctuary of the Lord and he then shared with me what was going to come of them in the last days. You see the spiritual overshadowed the physical and all of a sudden there was a breakthrough and a peace because in his honesty God spoke a right theology and gave him clarity and all of a sudden he was filled with hope and he was filled with compassion for those who then were dying. As we end this morning, I want to make it clear again while we're discussing this. People become disillusioned about God all the time because their theology is lacking, because their pastors have taught them bad theology, because their Sunday school teachers have taught them bad theology. They get frustrated with God over things he never said, things he never promised, and a lot of times that frustration revolves around hardship and revolves about suffering. In the church, we have to start being honest, sharing our frustration, getting our thinking right. And the tension, this tension with God, right, is at an all-time high. In the culture in which we live, we're being squeezed unlike ever before. And if we aren't careful, we may miss God. We may miss the hope we can find in Him in this season. My invitation is super simple. This can be through our time of worship and prayer. The invitation is just super simple this morning and this week. I want you to stop using God to defend God. I want you to start being honest about what you're struggling with. I want you to find someone who you trust and believe in to share with if the time is right. I'm not going to make you come before the entire assembly and get on a microphone and be senseless and a brute beast before all of us. You don't have to do that. But I want you to find someone or some people that you can be honest about. And then I want you to pray through that. And here's the second point. There's nothing worse than a complainer who won't listen. So when you complain and are honest, now say, God, I feel better. Now help me. <laughs> right? Help me. That's where the, per the person comes in. Maybe you're going to see a counselor. We'll talk about that next week some. But I want you to get to a place where you work through this honesty and the struggle and the tension and the strife and get to that point. And then you can have a breakthrough into the spiritual.
So Jesus, we just pray this morning now as we come into this time of, of ministry and worship. We're just asking Jesus that uh, you would move and speak into each of our hearts and our minds and each of our lives. Lord, whether it's in person here, God, whether it's in just uh, in our own homes this morning, I believe you're stirring something in every person. Whether it's an honesty that they need to have before you about their own tension. I believe, God, maybe someone in here needs to apologize because they just have not been kind and loving and compassionate to someone who is naturally struggling. I pray you would lead that person, God, to compassion. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would move us to a spiritual perspective after being honest of what we see in the physical. And I pray that you would lead us to a right theology, Jesus. We never glorify suffering. We don't glorify it. We glorify Jesus. And we recognize that pain and suffering will not be part of our, it's not our inheritance. That we will never live in it for eternity. And we thank you, God, that in beautiful moments you break into the physical with the fullness of your kingdom and say, what? Look at what I'm doing. And we ask that you do more of that, Jesus. We're honest. So, Father, come and have your way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a ministry time. I'll have a prayer team up here. Just love to pray for you this morning. Whatever's going on in your life, for healing, for breakthrough, restoration, whether you're struggling with something, just love to pray for you and believe God for you this morning. I invite you to this place of honesty.